week, I received a message from a stranger on a genealogy platform. Now, I've curated a pretty big family tree as a hobby and made it public. This was actually the second time this individual reached out to me about my family tree. The first time she approached me with questions, but the underlying suggestion was that there was an error on my tree and she was trying to clarify it was something that I had really researched or if it was just something that needed to be fixed. Now, keep in mind, I don't know this person, so I just did what any normal person does. I just ignored it. This particular platform works on the basis of something called blockchain. And if you if you don't know what that is, I won't try and explain it to you. But in the simplest terms, it works basically by showing you what other people have fun, found, so in theory, their own research. Um, and you can say that you uh, agree that it's correct or it's not. And the tree gets built mainly because people look at each other's trees or it makes a suggestion that comes from another person's tree. And you can simply say, yes, this looks right. And you can just incorporate those pieces to tie into yours. So the, the issue is, is that if that person has an error on their tree and you agree to it without really looking at it, then that error gets put onto your tree as well. Now, that's the downside of it. But the reason why you want to do it is because it saves a lot of time and allows you to put in all the research that somebody else does, so you don't have to put in all that effort. So, so I guess this woman who contacted me felt that she had found an error on my tree and was concerned about bringing in an error onto her, her tree. So fair enough. So, so now just to put this into context, I found myself thinking, you know, you really have to ask yourself, why is anyone actually doing genealogy work? And I can't speak for anyone else, but, you know, for me initially, I actually really wanted to learn some things about people who I, who I know or, uh, or did know who have unfortunately passed away. What was so wonderful is that my grandmother used to tell stories about her great-grandparents, and these are people who had passed away before I was even born. And I was so curious to actually get some of that firsthand knowledge and to understand what was, whether any of it was actually true. What was really funny was that I actually debunked a really huge belief in my family about being Italian. So we are not Italian. <laughs> we are not Italian at all. There's nothing in my family tree that says that we're Italian. Uh, but what I was able to do was to verify, actually, that most of what my grandmother had said was actually quite true. But the reality is, is that once you get past kind of like your three times great grandparents, no one you have known in your lifetime likely knew those people. Um, now, what's interesting is because most of my roots are in the UK, the documentation goes back to the 1400s. And um, what I've done is I've managed to build a tree with roots that go into the 15th and 16th centuries pretty extensively. And it's, um, it's really a big kind of interesting thing. And you can look at these stories, and it's kind of fun. But uh, it's really interesting. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean anything if it's all wrong. I mean, um, am I really related to some individual who was given a key to the city of London in the 17th century? I mean, nobody is giving me that key. It's just as likely or not to be related to the larcenists and the rapists that I found as it could be that I am actually related to the courtiers with titles who showed up. In the end, if it's right or wrong, my daily life doesn't change. I mean, uh, there's no titles or fortunes from those folks headed my way. It's really just stories about people who have been dead for hundreds of years. So my best guess about it is that I got some of it right and some of it wrong. In the end, it actually doesn't matter. Um, 
So I get this first message from this woman and I'm like, who cares? I, I actually didn't answer. Um, there's just something so cheeky about it. I mean, the woman was probably very well-intentioned about her inquiry. Um, and I don't think she had any malice intent at all. More than likely, my tree is just so huge, so huge, that she probably saw that it was influencing the trees of other people, including her own. And so any error in my tree was getting propagated into other pre- people's trees across the site. So what she was doing was probably, you know, genuinely cleaning up things that she could see that were likely to be an error in her own tree. Um, so, I mean, for all I know, this woman might even work for the platform. Well, the second message shows up and instead of her tone being, oh, hey, can you clarify the research that you did to prove that this connection is correct? It changed to, I think I found another error on this tree. And my reaction to her inquiry really surprised me. Now, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how I ended up burned out. Why did this happen to me? And this has really been the gift of recovery is this kind of excavation of the self. It's helping me to understand who I am. And much more importantly, why do I react the way that I do? I've talked about how our childhood traumas um, and how we learn to cope as small children directly influences how we respond to events that remind us of our trauma. We behave in surprisingly similar ways as we did when we were very small children. You may recall the terrifying story of the family friends of my parents who had the reaction of their son. He shut down completely in the face of a terrifying, violent, alcoholic father. And we can imagine him today with a boss having a very loud outburst. And I just imagine him in an office full of women quietly standing up, locking the door with all the women in his office inside and the aggressor on the other side of the door. And just as quietly returning to his computer to wait for the storm to pass. We do this kind of thing without thinking. And and our brains are beautifully designed to find effective survival responses that work. And when we face that danger again, the brain simply defaults to the last time that it works. For most of the troubles we face, we already have a pre-programmed response. But what's interesting is that after the trouble passes, we often wonder why we behaved the way that we did. And I've had this happen myself. There have been times when I was in a difficult or stressful situation and found myself crying. Um, As an adult, bursting into tears can be really annoying. I am, after all, a grown woman who has proven time and time again that I can deal with challenges and obstacles very effectively. Uh, surprisingly, there have been times when I was faced with seemingly simple frustrations where I just broke down in tears. And the thing was that I actually did not want to cry, but I was powerless to stop it from happening. But it's really actually simple why I cry under stress. When I was a child, I got my emotional needs met through tears. When I would cry, anger would soften and my parents would comfort me. So, And it's important not to think about that kind of behavior as a manipulation of parents. This is a survival response. Every child needs to feel safe, and they are counting on their parents to provide them that safety, either physically or psychologically. So behaviors like crying are beautifully, beautifully designed to elicit a positive response from parents. 
Now, we all have traumas of varying degrees. Some people are dealing with childhoods with, let's say, disengaged parents, and others are coming from very serious traumas like growing up in war zones. At the end of the day, each of those individual events results in uh, responses in adults um, that we used as powerless little children who were learning how to survive. We repeat the responses as though the circumstances are the same. Here's a kind of funny and stupid story. As a child, my parents used corporal punishment. Now, we know that hitting your child to correct them actually does harm them psychologically, but at the time, spankings were considered to be good parenting. So no criticism of my parents here, none at all. This event happened before I was in school, so I was four or five years old, and I can't recall what my sister and I had actually done to elicit a spanking. My parents were not hitting us very hard, and they didn't do it very often, so when I received a spanking, I would say it didn't hurt, and it and at that point, I didn't cry. I think I may have very foolishly said, that didn't hurt, and my stepfather responded by saying, should I hit you again? I remember him being really angry that I was defiant in the face of punishment. Naturally, I didn't want to get hit one more time, uh, so I started crying. And my simple logic was this, you told out the punishment, I took it, and now I'm being asked if I want more punishment for the same crime. So what did I do as a response? I started crying. That was his goal. He wanted me to cry to, I guess, demonstrate that I understood that what I had done was wrong and not do it again. And I guess what he saw was that the proof came through tears. So when I'm under stress, I frequently have to fight back tears. It's kind of what I think of as a reference trauma response. I cry because my brain is running a very highly effective program to get me to psychological safety. Now, we don't need to unpack how this form of punishment would be ineffective against the original crime committed. Maybe it taught me that when I do whatever it was that I did to get hit by my stepfather, that I won't want to do it again. But let's keep in mind, I can remember remember being hit, but not for what I did to earn that. I know what I did learn from that episode in my childhood. If you want to appease someone threatening your safety, if you cry, the violence stops. My sister was upset with me uh, because she believed that my initial refusal to cry would result in another round of spanking. And our parents used another punishment approach that she was responding to. What they would do is if they could not figure out who was the culprit that needed punishment, uh, we both got punished. Now, we both got hit for each other's crimes from time to time. But interestingly, we never grasped each other out. But behind closed doors, the one getting hit without justification doled out the second punishment. So you get a second round of trauma from an unjustified punishment or the fury of your sibling. You might get your third round of trauma from the punishment that comes from fighting with your sibling. And anyone with a sibling understands that our siblings have probably inflicted as much trauma uh, to our psychological development as our parents. Ah, the 70s and 80s. What a time to be alive. I can laugh about all this now, but I started to understand how difficult uh, this was and how these small traumas were conditioning me to behave in a very specific way. 
So let's move five-year-old Angela into a toxic corporate environment. Corporate environment, and let's keep in mind that uh, I'm I'm actually progressing in my professional career pretty effectively. I'm doing a pretty good job, and I'm getting well recognized. It kind of makes sense now why that happened. My reflection on the burnout and recovery helped me to see the connection between my childhood trauma and why I burned out. Because of the burnout, I can now choose to respond in a different way in real time. I learned a new skill called called training emotional competence, which allows you to recognize the emotional response and change it in real time. I know this now, I didn't know this then, but in another podcast I want to do actually explain this whole concept of tech. Most of the time, the circumstances are not the same, uh, and the response doesn't work like it did when we were little kids. And actually, this is what is what leads to the burnout, and this is what the led, led to the burnout for me. I've mentioned crying as a response to stress, but it's really just a part of the macro picture of my response to stress. At work, I wasn't crying. I was doing something else. Um, Also, I think it's important to say that I wasn't under any threat of violence at work. Um, And the trauma response was more nuanced than that. What it was actually doing was appeasing what I felt was my aggressor. With my stepfather, I did start to cry, but I didn't cry because of the original spanking causing pain. I also didn't cry because my feelings were hurt. I cried because um, it would stop him from hitting me again. Oh, here's the proof. The minute he left the room, I stopped crying. I cried because it appeased him. And in my work life, I had become a professional appeaser. Now, not everything we do in the workplace is brilliant. We are human after all. We do what we think we should, but we don't always get it right. And we sometimes simply make mistakes. This is the simple reality of working and being human. Now, here's how it worked for me in the workplace. If something went wrong, as a professional appeaser, I would reflect upon what was said to me, come up with something better or more in line with what they said to me, and returned with what I believed was closer to what they wanted as fast as possible. And this made my manager happy. Think about this. This is what a good employee does. They take on feedback and improve the work. They give you what you're asking for. And I would often thank them for giving me their honest feedback. So the boss got what they wanted. They felt good about their leadership. And in turn, they often supported me. This created a very effective psychological safety in the workplace that I replicated over and over again with many people. I find myself wondering, does it ever cross the mind of the boss or HR that what the employee is doing what I was doing was actually appeasing behavior. This is a learned behavior from my childhood. Intellectually, I felt that I was doing what I was doing was making a positive contribution to the success of the enterprise and giving my best work. Unconsciously, what I was doing was psychologically surviving. To understand that point was an incredibly huge win. It was as though I had unlocked the keys to the castle. 
I finally understood why I burned out. And my biggest fear was not that I would never recover from the burnout. I fundamentally believed I would always recover from the burnout. The fear was that I would allow this to happen to me again because I couldn't understand how it happened. And that was a really big fear. I never wanted another person to treat me that way again. And I never wanted to fall into the trap of allowing it to happen again. So with this knowledge, I realized I could start making a conscious choice to stop trying to appease people. I can start to undo the trauma response. And that is a very, very tall order. Trauma response is programmed into the part of my brain, which is not in the frontal lobe. That's the executive reasoning center. Trauma responses come from the amygdala or the hippocampus. And that's the lizard part of my brain scanning for danger. So I have to get my tired and slow executive reasoning brain to overcome my inexhaustible and rapid response brain. Very difficult indeed. But we must try, and it is possible to change the response. So when I, I, I got there, I did try, and here's what happened. My emotional reactions were very uncomfortable. I recall telling my therapist that I was really happy that I had started to connect with my body and my feelings. What I wasn't happy, happy about is that I felt my reactions were ridiculous. Uh, they felt too big. It felt all very intense. Now, my wonderful therapist reminded me that I was developing some new skills and to be patient with myself. Connecting with those emotions for the first time was going to take time to learn how to handle. And she said to me, Angela, you were driving a Fiat and now you're behind the wheel of a Ferrari. I've never driven a Ferrari, but I can imagine what that might feel like. Scary. It might feel like the engine was too much to handle. And that's exactly how I felt about all these emotions. I felt like it was a lot to handle. So what did I do this week when the woman from the genealogy platform contacted me? Her tone was must, much less conciliatory. It was clear that she felt she found another error on my tree that needed to be corrected. I mean, after all, she was polite the first time she reached out to me, and I did not respond. My errors were disturbing her, and she needed satisfaction for her diligent work. An all-new trauma response is needed here. I didn't know this woman. It was 4 a.m., and I wasn't able to sleep. My calm and collected self checked out with the burnout. My professional appeaser was put in the penalty box of my behavior. I had also allowed myself to be mentally and physically destroyed by people who took no responsibility for their actions. I let that happen. I was never letting another person do that to me again. I'm behind the wheel of my emotional Ferrari and people are going to be run over if they cross a line with me. I let her have it. I wish you could see the screenshot of what I wrote, but here's what I wrote. I'm sorry. Why are you policing my family tree? I never asked for your review. Shocking, right? Your reaction might be like, that was it? For me, that was a really big deal. Okay, I, I, I realize I opened with an apology. 
it all seems very harmless now. I, I didn't allow this person to make me feel bad about making an error or two or three. I simply stated to her, I don't want your input. And I feel like it's the only step that I could take. I didn't confess that I was wrong. I didn't explain how it happened. I didn't make any commitment to fix anything. And I certainly didn't thank her for pointing out my error. I told her she crossed a line and her input was not welcome. So I might be driving away in my Ferrari at 20 kilometers an hour with my Karen haircut, looking for a manager to speak with. And I'm okay with that because at least I finally got in my car and drove away. Right now you might be waiting for a miracle. And I just want to remind you that you are the miracle.